I forgot to do that last time. And I was wondering, why can't anyone hear me? So, uh, first thing I need to do is pray. There's no better way to begin a worship service and listen to God's word to let God speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Our gracious, eternal Father, we come into your presence and we acknowledge your sovereignty, that your sovereignty rules and reigns over all. In your word it says, the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his dominion, his sovereignty rules over all. We place ourselves under your lordship today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in whose name we pray. Amen. So it is uh, with joy that I'm able to come back again. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Psalm 19? This is a psalm that, uh, as a family, we memorized when our children were young. And uh, as we were memorizing it, we would uh, go around the table one verse a day and then re review verse one and then verse two and then one, two, and three the third day, one, two, three, four, until we got to verse 14. So we all then said it individually and then uh, our daughter, who is two years and 10 months, said, I say it. And uh, said, say what? I say it. And so, as a sponge, she had just sat there and absorbed God's word, and we recorded it. Um, two years and ten months, she said the entire psalm. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. How does a little two-year-old two know presumptuous from the great transgression? You know, how can she know about transgressions at uh, two and a half? So, um, several years ago, um, when I was in college, that was more than several. It was a few years ago. Um, <clears throat> I took my car and went about 20 miles away from school. <clears throat> you forgot to mention what school I went to, John. Uh, I went to Penn State. And uh, back then they called it the State Penn. So, uh, but anyhow, I, I drove about 20 miles and down Route 322. And it was totally dark. I got out of my car, and I think for the first time in my life, I experienced what we're going to look at today, the heavens declare the glory of God. This was just an incredible moment to view this milky way that we live in. And so, um, as, as we go through the passage, there are basic questions. Since I'm a Bible teacher, uh, that's how I view Scripture. I, I like to ask questions, you know, the seven basic questions of Bible study. Who, what, where, why, when, how, and to what extent. Those are the questions that you ask as you do Bible study. And so, as I was going through this uh, passage, I realized that Psalm 19 is a hymn of praise, just like we were praising today. Thank you for the wonderful worship. 
really incredible. And John, I appreciate your prayer. It was filled with scripture. Not many people mention the word oracles in their pray, uh, prayer, do they? Um, in 1 Peter 4, it says, If any man speak, let him speak as the very oracles of God, the very words of God. And that's what uh, John did as he, uh, as he prayed. He was praying scripture. So I appreciate that so much. So um, this psalm shows us that God exists and he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And he's chosen to reveal himself in two basic ways. Number one is general revelation. The other is called specific revelation. And the general revelation is we get outside and we look at the heavens and we look at the Grand Canyon. We look at Zion and Bryce National Parks and uh, all of the great wonders that God has made with his handiwork. And we are impressed, aren't we? God did an incredible job. And so, as we are meditating and thinking about this, the first six verses basically talk about this general revelation. And it uses the word God, which is El Elohim, and that shows God's power. But as we get through verse 7, we begin to talk about the Word of God and how the Word of God affected David as he is um, praying, as he is meditating upon the glory of God as he looks at the, at the um, uh, heavens. And so, um, can we go back to slide two, please? Uh, there we go. One of, as a teacher, I, I have to do this. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I like to place scripture, you know. Um, and my daughter's taking a, a course online from a seminary, and she says, 512-5512, which means there are five books in history, if you look at the... Um, the slide there, and then uh, five, five for the Pentateuch, for the law, for, for five, uh, 12 for history, five for poetry, which is where we are, five for the major prophets, and 12 for the minor prophets. But we're going to be in uh, the poetry part. And uh, the poetical books, of course, are f there are five of them. Job, we don't know who the author is. Psalms was written by David. I think he wrote something like 73 of the Psalms. Proverbs written by Solomon and several others. Ecclesiastes by Solomon and Song of Solomon. It's probably pretty obvious that he wrote that. And so uh, the next slide is, that's a painting. I like to show uh, sometimes a visual. It helps us to get a picture of what King David looked like. He probably didn't look like that, but this is my... <laughs> This is my perception of, of an artist's rendering of, uh, of David. Next slide, please. And so we come to our outline. We have this general or natural revelation, which are the heavens. And then we have specific revelation, which is scripture, which we're going to be looking at. And so uh, today I would like to just begin with um, this revelation of the skies. And... Um, in Scripture it says, He counts the numbers of the stars and He calls them all by name. Now, if, if you have pets, sometimes you give names to your pets. Everybody does, right? 
And think about God. He has these stars. And there are over 100 billion galaxies that they have found. There are over 100 billion stars in each of the galaxies. And God calls every single one by name. Sometimes I begin to lose track of my children's names. You know, as you get older, you know, we do that. And so uh, it's incredible that God can uh, remember every single name. And God never forgets anything. He never forgets anything. So we have that characteristic about God. And, uh, you know, uh, in order for us to get a, an idea of what our universe is like, if you were to take a sheet of paper, say the sheet of paper, and this thickness represents the distance between the earth and the sun. Now we know that's about 93 million miles approximately. And so if you were going to go to the nearest star, you'd have to take this piece of paper and put another one on top, another one on top, until it is probably twice as high as the ceiling. It would be 71 feet tall. And if you were to, uh, it takes about um, 100,000 um, years to cross the Milky Way. So if you're going to do that, the stack of paper would be 310 feet high. And to go to the end of the known universe, it would be 31 million miles of paper stacked high. That gives you an idea. Another way to look at it is if you were to take an orange and say if the orange was placed here, and go back about 30 feet, there would be a little pebble, a little grain of sand. That would be the Earth taking 365 days to go around this orange. If you were to go to the planet Pluto, you'd have to go all the way down by the um, police station in Essex Fells. A little bit past that, it would be one mile away. And if you were to go to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, you'd have to go to Miami. That gives you a perspective of this grandeur of our God, that he has created all this. It says he spoke, and it came into existence. And he commanded, and it stayed put. And so God not only created, he's not only the sustainer of our universe, but he is the one who controls every single thing about it. And he is sovereign and he is ruling and reigning over our lives and he's ruling and reigning over this church. And it is going to be wonderful to see God's plan for what he's going to do with this church. So there's also an, another fact about God's creation that as you um, go to this vastness of our universe, you also go to the minuteness of our universe. And some of you ladies, um, once in a while, if you're dusting your, your houses, I don't know if you'd ever do that, you know, but, but a little piece of dust, you know how big that is? The a dust, piece of dust is to um, an atom is to that speck of dust, as that speck of dust is to the earth. That gives you an idea of the minuteness of the creation of God. He takes care of every single atom, every single detail. So we'd like to know, the first question is, where is this message revealed? That would be the next slide. 
Okay? Where is this message revealed? And the Bible says that the heavens declare, and you can follow along, I think you have in your bulletins uh, the ESV version, and I'm using that this morning, even though we memorized it in uh, another version. If I, if I revert to that, just please forgive me. Um, but here it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky, or the, uh, the, the heavens, proclaim his handiwork. And so uh, the sky is like what we view when we look up. And do you remember back in Genesis chapter 15 where God says to Abraham, uh, go outside, see if you can count the stars. And they say that you can probably count about 2,000 stars on a typical night if you can see them. And he begins to count and loses track and has to start all over again, you know. And, and God says, do you believe that I can make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky? And neighbor said, Abraham said, Yes. And God says, I credit my righteousness to your account. It's based on the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, but which would come hundreds of years later. And so, the glory of God, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I, I read a book several years ago by Dwight Pentecost on the glory of God. And I was so fascinated by it that I just continue to expand my study a little bit. And the glory of God, um, I first heard by uh, Joe Stoll, a definition, <clears throat> which is basically the sum total of all of God's attributes, which John so uh, beautifully prayed this morning. <clears throat> I just want to list a few of them. He is sovereign. He's the creator. He is the sustainer. He's eternal. He is immutable. He is infinite. He is holy and righteous and just. He is loving and gracious and merciful and kind and good. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-sufficient for every need that we have. And He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present at the exact same time. I can't grasp that. I don't understand that. But yet, these are the characteristics. As we go through Scripture, the Scripture begins to reveal them. So, uh, question two is, how often is it revealed? It is continually being revealed. Scripture says, day-to-day -day pours out speech and night-to-night -night reveals knowledge. So this day and night cycle continually reminds us that this is his glory is contributing to the seasons, to the very cycles that we experience. And he reveals knowledge in a, in a nonverbal way. You don't hear the stars shouting verbally, but it's a nonverbal communication. And it communicates about God and his wisdom in giving us creation. The third question is, how clear is the message that, that the, the heavens declare? Well, it is mute, that means it's silent, yet it is very, very clear. Scripture says there is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. So it's saying that the entire world, in this nonverbal sermon of the glory of God as the stars are proclaiming this, it goes out to everyone in the world. Which leads us to the next. How widespread is it? 
it is worldwide. Their voice, verse 4 says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Their voice is the influence of the, the majesty and the glory of God that comes from nature as we view God's glory and it reaches all nations. Scripture also reveals this in the book of Romans chapter 1. Just listen what the Apostle Paul reads. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's talking about people who don't have knowledge of the Bible. Um, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, which would be basically his wisdom and the fact that he has design. There's great design. Do you ever look at a, a flower or um, a tr magnificence of a tree or the Grand Canyon? What incredible design God has. And um, the Bible says that uh, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that people are without excuse. excuse. So no one can say, I never had a chance to know about God. All you have to do is step outside and look at the beauty of the creation and God says, I have revealed it. Do you want to know more? You need to get more through specific revelation. And so uh, the next question is, how strong is this message? Well, it is as strong as the sun. It says, in them, or in the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun. So God has this sun rising uh, from like a tent. And uh, life on earth continually revolves around us going around the sun. We have all the seasons, the four seasons that we experience. But this sun that we have is an incredible piece of creation. It is 865,000 miles in diameter. Now, the earth is around 7,900 miles in diameter. So you can take 1.3 million of our earths and put them inside the sun. Isn't that incredible? Do you realize that we only receive one billionth of the energy from the sun? And our, our atmosphere reflects 34% of it. So we're only receiving a certain amount of that uh, power from the sun. And um, there is a star that God has created. It's called um, Stevenson 2-18, and it's the largest star that they found so far. So if you take our sun, and then you have all the planets, you have uh, Mercury, Venus, Mars, uh, Earth, Mars, and then Jupiter, and all the way out to Saturn. And if you take Saturn's orbit around the sun, that's how big Stevenson 2-18 is. It takes up that amount of space. So God has tremendous variety in the creation. He makes some really, really small dwarfs and some magnificently large stars. And so... Uh, also, the sun takes up 99% of the matter of our solar system. So it is extremely dominant. And so when we come to verse 5, it says, 
which comes out like a bridegroom leading his chamber, and like a strong man runs its race with joy. So, like a bridegroom. Do you remember, guys, when you got married? That, that, that day, there was anticipation. There was love. My bride is here. You know, 53 years ago, we got married. And, and I remember that day of anticipation and love. And that's what he's describing. It's like the, the sun, when it comes up, is like a bride. You can't wait to get to the other side and, and just continues to go. So it's showing this love and anticipation as the sun rises and sets. And it's like a strong man, like a champion runner racing across the sky that shows power, shows determination. And so... The next question, the sixth question is, how effective is the message? Well, there is nothing hidden from it. Verse 6 says, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and it's circuit to the end of it. It goes from one side to the other. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So this shows the power of the sun, and it warms the earth, and even a blind person can go out, and they can feel the effects of the sun as the rays hit his face. So now we come to, that's natural or general revelation. Now we're going to come to specific revelation, which is God's word. And, and this is the part that I really love to, to talk about. What God's word is, it shows, um, gives us names for his word, gives six, six attributes for his word, and six Ministries are things that it does. It is perfect, it is sure, it is right, it is pure, it is clean, it is true. What it does, it revives the soul, it gives wisdom, it brings joy, it enlightens the eyes, it endures forever, it gives insight. So let us go through those. The word is described in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect, reviving or restoring the soul. So it's flawless, it's complete. And you remember in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Same word that's used. He, he revives, he restores my soul. And so the word of God has life. The word of God imparts spiritual life to us and it sustains our lives. And it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And this is the word, the testimony is the word that's used of the Ten Commandments in Scripture. And the attribute, it is sure, it is faithful, it is established. And it makes even a simple person wise as they examine what God's Word says. In verse 8 it says, the precepts or the statutes, that's how I learned it, of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So these are the instructions that God gives us for life, what we're to eat, what we're to wear, what we're to do, how to keep our bodies clean, all of those things, how to take care of our lives. And it's right, it's, it's just, it's not crooked, it's not perverse. And it brings joy. Remember in Jeremiah it says, Thy words were found and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The Word of God brings joy. So if you're lacking joy in your life, can you think of what the conclusion would be? How do you get more joy? You spend more time in God's Word, and you spend more time abiding in the person of Jesus Christ. 
It says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, and it brings life. It's like a roadmap for us to follow. Verse 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This word fear means this reverential trust. And we need this in order for us to learn the word of God. It's pure. It endures forever. Thy word, O Lord, is established in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, Jesus said, will never, ever pass away. And so the name, the rules, the rules or ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So the Bible says that we're born again by the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which lives and abides forever. We grow by the word of God as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. We are made holy as we are exposed to Bible study. And David said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How many of you are involved in memorizing Scripture? Yeah, and, and a lot of people, you know, pastors say, you know, you ought to memorize Scripture. And I'm telling you, you ought to memorize Scripture because God's Word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And um, In his word doth he meditate day and night. But how do you do that? Well, one of the ways that I did was to take a two-by-four card and I put on the one side a topic. Then I put the address underneath it and then I turn the card over and in phrases I write in my own handwriting, in phrases what the verse is, and then I memorize it. And it gets to the point where all you have to do is look at the reference and you'll know what that verse is, and you spend time doing that every single day. There's a, there was a program several years ago uh, called Bible Memory Association out of St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, at our church, we, we took that on, and we would memorize Scripture a, as a congregation. And they would tell you, we'll give you 105 verses, seven verses a day for 15 weeks. You have to memorize one every single day, and keep all of the ones that you have. So after 105 days, you have memorized 105 verses. That's equivalent to the book of Philippians or the book of 1 John, almost equivalent to the book of James. And so that is one of the things that you can begin to do is to take God's word, hide it in your heart so that you don't sin against him because that's what this whole thing is uh, leading toward. And so... As we um, move on, we go to specific revelation. And in verse 10, he says, this, this is how he views it. He says, more to be desired are they, it's talking about the word of God, the precepts, the commandments, the ordinances. Um, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So David shows his reaction to this. And he compares them to gold, which was the most valuable commodity of the day, and honey, which was the sweetest tasting thing of that particular time. And he compares them to, to those. 
And this shows why he values it. In verse 11, he says, by them, by the word of God, by the ordinances, by the commands that he gives us, by the testimonies, he says, your servant is warned. If you are about to fall into a, a great big pit and somebody says, so Ron, stop. Somebody's warning me from falling into sin then that would be something that God's word does. It stands as a sentry and warns you before you go in. You know, before I was a Christian, and I became a Christian at age five, so it's been a long time, but uh, I couldn't help myself but sin. But now that I am a believer in Christ, I choose to sin. I make choices. My life is determined by the choices that I make. And so that's why we have the word of God. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. It is infallible. This word is infallible and inerrant. It is without error. And as we take it into our lives, it begins to transform and change us into the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is leading to. It's leading to Him. So this helps keep me from sin and in keeping them is great reward. So there is a principle. The principle is this. With obedience comes blessing. As you are obedient to the Word of God, God will say, I will give you a blessing. But there's also the converse of that. With disobedience comes discipline. If you don't believe me, read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and see what God has said about if Israel would obey the commands. He spends about 15 verses, says, I'm going to give you these blessings. And then from there to the end of the chapter, to verse, I think, 68, he talks about all the, the cursings that will come upon you if you are disobedient to what I tell you. That's why it is so important for us to know his word and to know that in 1 John 5, 3, it says, his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. They're not overwhelming. I can keep them. That's what scripture is saying. And so it brings great reward. So the next is, why does he value it in verse 12? Who can discern his errors? And that's what um, uh, he's been leading towards. So, so we start with general revelation, or th this uh, incredible uh, glory of God that's revealed through the, through the creation. Then we come to specific revelation. And he begins to tell us as we get into God's word, it warns us, it shows us the benefits of what happens if we do keep it. And it all makes us realize that I have offended a holy God. I have gone against his precepts. Um, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. And so... Scripture says, to him that knows the right thing to do and does it do it, to him it is sin. That's James 4, 17. So, so here he says, um, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Sometimes we don't even realize that we have sinned. And, you know, I'm blind to my blindness. It's easy for me to point out sins in your life, right? I, I can, I'm really good at that. But when it comes to my own sin, 
That's, that's why I need my wife to, hey, Ron, you need to not be so long-winded, you know, so. Uh, any, anyhow, that, that's, it, David is immediately made aware of his sin. And think about David, this, this one who's written this. Do you remember back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 6 and 7, where he commits the sin of adultery with uh, Bathsheba? He has Uriah the Hittite murdered. He walks around for an, about a year in hypocrisy before the entire nation. And finally, Nathan comes to him and he says, Thou art the man. And David immediately repents. He writes Psalm 32. He writes Psalm 51. Go and read those two psalms. Those are the psalms of repentance that uh, David has written. And so this word of God, it points out, it, it, it's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's, it's a mirror, it shows me where I've sinned. It's like a fire and it's a hammer, it's like food. Um, Jesus talks about the fact that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, verse 13, why he values it. He says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be blameless and innocent of great transgression. These are willful and deliberate sins. And David is praying for cleansing. Do you know how we get cleansed today when we sin? It's called 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it leads us now to verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He says, O Lord, O Jehovah. So in the first six verses, he's talking about the powerful God, Elohim. Now he talks about Jehovah as he mentions it in Scripture. And as he comes to the end, O Jehovah, my rock and my redeemer. Who is the redeemer? The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He, Christ has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us each other to keep us in fellowship and also to point out our sin when we he's given us eternal life he's given us a home reserved in heaven for us he's given us an abundant life that we can experience right here and right now so as we move to this last slide very quickly it says listen to god as he speaks through nature the heavens speak of his glory the sun speaks of his glory. Listen to God as he speaks through scripture. It's perfect and strengthens. It is sure, gives wisdom. It's right and brings joy. It's pure, provides direction. It is clean, it endures forever. It is true and righteous altogether. It is valuable and precious. It is delicious and sweet. It is helpful and rewarding. It is instructive and cleansing. It is protective and liberating is transforming and saving. And I want you to think about taking the attributes of God that we've talked about. And as 
we think about the, the things that are affecting us in life today. Uh, John brought it out in his prayer, and I think, uh, Ramey, you mentioned it. That as we look around our world, there is great fear. There's anxiety. There is isolation. Do you ever feel isolated? All alone? And there is a lack of wisdom. So I put the acronym for those, and it's F-A-I-L, fail. If, if we keep going, we're going to fail. And the only way that we're going to get through that through all of these things that we experience, and we've talked, John even mentioned in his prayer what these, what these fears were, the anxieties were about over in Afghanistan or Iraq and the different things that we're feeling with the pandemic, all of those things. The way we have victory is to go through Scripture and think about what are the attributes of God that meets that particular fear. Very quickly, let me go through them. Fear, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It is His grace. He gives us this. And uh, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. He that fears is not made perfect in love. It is God's love that helps me through that. As I go through anxiety in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety, all your worry, all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It simply means to split the mind. You're worrying about something. And so we need his love. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. That means he is going to be abiding and he's going to be protecting you. If you look through... Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Six times it mentions the word anxious. And you know how you conquer that? It is through, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. His omniscience and His goodness. He gives us good things. He's the giver of good gifts, as it says in uh, James chapter 1, verse 17. Isolation not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So there's exhortation, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And uh, even Genesis 2.18, it's not good that man should be alone. You know, so, so God's wisdom, he's provided someone for us. And lack of wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously, and doesn't chide, he doesn't abrade. And so here, he's generous, he's gracious. And for the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So again, we need discernment, we need insight. And how do we get that? It comes from getting in this book, and you have to spend time in this book. I'm encouraging you to read it, to dwell upon it, memorize it, meditate upon it, and then give it out to someone else. That's what God has called us to do. So as we behold the glory of God, as we meditate upon that, let me pray as we prepare for our closing hymn. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you never make a mistake. We thank you that we can come to you and you are always gracious. You never love us more than you will love us now. And you will never love us any more than you love us right now. 
Father, we praise you for giving us your word. Thank you for sending your son to die in our place. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank you for declaring us righteous in your courtroom. And Father, we praise you that the heavens declare the glory of God. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.